If you're a fan of classic movies or just like to hear people gabbing about them, then maybe you should listen to the 430 movie wherever you listen to podcasts brought to you by the producers of Inglorious Trexperts. At the end of the universe lies the beginning of Inglorious Trexperts. Podcast now. Hello and welcome back to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we talk about interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me as always is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. How are you doing? How you do today, Steve? Hanging in there about yourself. Pretty good. And let's get right over to our guests who are here today for a two-part episode on the topic of unmade Spider-Man films. Um, and joining us is guest number one, Mr. Ed Greer, who is a stand-up comedian and a host of an excellently nerdy podcast called Nerd Goat. And what does GOAT stand for? Uh, greatest of all time, Josh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so basically we, we talk to people about uh, their favorite fictional character. And uh, we just sort of a deep dive into people's like psychological makeup sometimes. You know, when somebody's favorite character is like, like Pat, our mutual friend, his favorite character is Robin. Who's whose favorite character is a sidekick? <laughs> so you start to so you Classic start to get sick, Pat. Yeah, so you start to get into his mindset, and he's really a type of guy who wants to like earn everything he gets, go through the process. He's a real Rudy of a person. So <laughs> so so Robin would be, you know, and he, you know, he, he even likes he doesn't even like the Dick Grayson Robin. He likes the the, de- the detective yeah. Robin that's yeah. all nerdy. So he talks about him a lot. Yeah, see, he's so he's got a he's got a real uh, Tim Drake speaks to him. Yeah. Tim Drake speaks to him. Exactly. And that would be the voice of our other guest, Mr. Ashley Williams, who you might know as the Miller. writer of movies like, or not Williams, Miller. Sorry. Okay. It happens. <laughs> Which is funny because that's my last name too. So, But um, do you get that a lot? I imagine not. I don't. No. Um, usually I get the Miz in front of the Ashes. Miz. From the- <laughs> right. Um, Wait, what is Ash's full name? As in Army of Darkness, Ash. Ashley. Ashley Williams. Is it? Yes. Okay, that's, that's why it's in my there, brain. Yeah, there we yeah, go. There you go. I mean, right. uh, trust me, look, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, actually, those movies are all my favorite movies of all time. I've got every single edition of uh, Ash versus the Army of Darkness ever released on any form of media anywhere <laughs> for any goddamn reason whatsoever. So, uh, so I'm kind of a super fan. Ash is out there, you know, kind of holding up the ash end maybe you should go on nerd go talking about some ash uh, uh, well actually we had somebody come on and talk about ash like we're we're nearing 100 episodes we've had yeah. a lot of the a lot of the major ones like ash superman james bond you know <laughs> these, these type of characters so yeah what I was going to say, you may know Ashley from his work on writing movies like Thor, X-Men First Class. He is also a co-host of our sister podcast, the 430 Movie Podcast. Um, this is a great show, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, so you guys got Despite your- Despite of my best efforts. Yeah. <laughs> you guys got your uh, comic book fan bona fides here. Um, I'm a little curious, though. We talked- Ash was just talking a little bit about it beforehand, showing all the Spider-Man movies to his son. Um, but maybe just talk a little bit about your- fan relationship with Spider-Man to what extent it is or isn't. I think it's very interesting to, to talk about uh, you connecting with Spider-Man and your child and how like Spider-Man, uh, the different Spider-Mans that he likes. Can you run that down for us? That's funny. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, my son, believe it or not, has never been um, what you call a, uh, a superhero fan until very recently. He watched Infinity War. It blew his 
mind. <laughs> and then began, you know, a 21-film odyssey through the MCU. But uh, his primary focus, right, if you were majoring uh, in Marvel Cinematic Superheroes, he would have majored in Spider-Man. Um, we watched everything. And I have to say, the kid's taste is pretty good. Um, he really liked Spider-Man's appearance in Civil War. He loves Spider-Man Homecoming, I think is probably his second favorite MCU film. Um, he didn't dig uh, the two amazing Spider-Man films. And who can Your son him? has good taste. Right? <laughs> uh, he really liked, uh, really dug um, Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2, Sam Raimi. Um, we watched the editor's cut of Spider-Man 3 together, which he said, it's pretty good. Now, he's nine. Uh, and you know what the thing is? Like, once you factor in, you know, the uh, the Amazing Spider-Man era, it, you know, given the number of Spider-Man movies, it kind of turns out to be middle-of-the-road Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Almost yeah. my default. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there are actually things about that movie that are better than we remember. I mean, some things are just not as good. Um but they're better than we Why remember. is it the editor's cut? I'm not familiar with it. I think it. it's because they realize, I don't know, I, I, maybe I'm imagining But not the, the director's cut or like, sign off on it. it. Um, but uh, yeah, they, they moved some things around. They restructured the third act a little bit. Uh, they almost completely eliminated the dance sequence. Interesting. Yeah, they, they edited it around so that it wasn't quite as, as onerous. Um, but his favorite Spider-Man movie is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse which we saw twice in the theaters. I think it was the first time he'd ever seen a film twice in the theaters. Uh, we watched it together on video. We did this all just very recently, but he, he loves that movie. Um, and I, I caught him watching it again the other night. So I punished him and I sent him to his room. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been interesting kind of uh, having the whole you know, Dad, tell me about superheroes conversation. <laughs> well, you see, son, <laughs> when I was your age, we didn't have a buttload of superhero movies. <laughs> we just we just had a buttload of fanboys wishing there were superhero movies. You know, happy to get Superman 3. You know, that's that's what it was like when I was your age. I watched <laughs> Superman 3 like I loved it. through the snow yeah, both yeah. ways. I watched, I watched Thor. An incredible Hulk TV right. movie with a fur coat on. I watched Jonathan Rhys Davies as the Kingpin. Kingpin. Right, I, I you know I I have survived. You, you know, you know. There was Daredevil I was, in that one. Yeah, yeah, I was born in it. You know, Red yeah. Brown is Captain America. Oh, oh my, my god! god. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're for the future. You is Captain America. Of water. Yeah. Yeah. Thor yeah. was in that too. One yeah. of those episodes, one of those movies. Well, yeah, it was like yeah, the trial of, of the Incredible Hulk. That's right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and the Incredible Hulk ends up falling out of a, a plane and dying. Yeah, because like that could happen. <laughs> I was gonna say we're from an era where you just were happy that there was a guy that a character thought was Thor in Adventures in <laughs> Babysitting. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's how right. few superhero wow. movies there were. Yeah, that one gleaming image of him that looked like a Sinkevich. Uh, I think that was that was your age. I think that was tank top. Wait, wasn't that character played by Vincent D'Onofrio? Speaking so. of yes, Kingpin. Yes, he was. Wow. 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 That's what a, a good call connected. What a wig. <laughs> but uh, uh, you're a Spider-Man fan. Yeah, and... I mean, me personally, I do think Spider-Man might be my favorite character. Uh, it's just, uh, it, what's always attracted me to Spider-Man as a concept was just, he has so much on his plate at all times. There isn't any chill moment in Spider-Man's life. He's either, you know, he's late to go downstairs to eat the wheat cakes. He has to wolf them down because he has to get to the bus. And he goes to school and he's a jerk there. He can't show everybody. It, you know, uh, there's a couple of uh, scenes in some of the sh uh, scripts we're going to talk about 
where he does some of the things that I would lo- I would do if I were Spider Man. But the fact that he's such a good guy, he he doesn't he doesn't dunk on bullies. He doesn't beat up people. So it's just that self restraint was always something that I identified with for some reason. And I also love the fact that uh, when you really look at the the troika of superpowers he has, speed and strength and the agility thing, that's just so sick. And then his, <laughs> and then you add the locomotion part. Like he has the best locomotion of any of any hero. He has he has some of the best uh, instincts, you know, uh, augmented or not. Uh, he, he's a, I, I heard him uh, called uh, one of the best rough and tumble fighters in the Marvel universe. And I think that's a good good description. He never took any spider foo until recently. That's right. You know, but he could always hold his own with a mix of his own style of being who he was. So like all that is just a big. That's all I love that. Well, it is kind of crazy. Now, looking back, but just that what was so revolutionary about him as a character was that he was just some normal kid who mm-hmm. got superpowers. He, Unlike the DC characters who were billionaires, gods, yeah, well, aliens. I think you that's know? one thing I identify with as well. Spider-Man never completely knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. All the grown-up superheroes, there's, there's like, they're in the lab doing this and that, and they've, they've got 15 plans for everything, bat god, or they can you know, see everything on a microscopic level, so it's just them thinking about, how am I going to do this superheroic super thing and save the day? He's going, how do I even do this? You know, <laughs> half the time he's fighting guys who can bench press 80 tons and stuff. He's fighting, <laughs> he's fighting the rhino. He's fighting, every, you know, he can lift 10 tons. So everybody he fights is twice as strong as him. And let's you not know. forget, you know, he uh, he has a mouth, right? Long yeah. before Deadpool had mm. a mouth. Spider-Man had a mouth. I remember, you know, reading a Spider-Man comic when I was like six, seven years old. And I think like the villain in it was like somebody totally forgettable, like the human fly. And there's a scene where he's saving a cop, right? Spider-Man swings down, grabs this cop, and he's, he's swinging away. The cop says, hey, put me down. And Spider-Man says, you got a face like a pig. There. And like, I'm like, wow. <laughs> Superman would never do that. That's amazing. Yeah, and, I, and I really like some of the very early comic book uh, renditions of Spider-Man where it wasn't just that he was just a kid. Like this meat kid that we have in the movies now, that's cool and I like that and that's very realistic to me. But when Spider-Man was a kid in the Ditko era, he would just be like, I'm going to punch Human Torch in the face and swing away because he sucks. <laughs> I don't like that guy. I'm just, You know what I mean? He was like a rambunctious little jerk. He was like Scrappy-Doo. For a period, for a period of time, in the comic books, you know, <laughs> Scrappy Doo. <laughs> Has anyone ever picked Scrappy Doo on your goat? Oh, not yet. <laughs> Controversial choice. Um, no, but I, I don't know if you guys have the uh, Marvel Unlimited app, which I do, um, and it gives you access to just pretty much every Marvel comic ever. So I'm now reading a bunch of old stuff, and unsurprisingly, I think back before comic books were taken that seriously, the writing's not great. <laughs> and a lot of the, it's just people trying to sound real serious. But the fact that Spider-Man was always supposed to be funny, mm-hmm. even if it's mm-hmm. not like the best executed joke writing ever, it's still fun to read because exactly. he's, he's yeah. cracking wise constantly. <laughs> um, well, there's a lot to talk about. So let's maybe start jumping in because as we're talking about uh, the sad days of our childhood when there were no superhero movies. Um, as we'll learn today, it wasn't for want of trying, at least on Spider-Man's part. Um, like, so, Spider-Man, does anyone know the exact date that he first came out? Late 60s, but... But then they made some cartoons. The first live-action Spider-Man was a TV movie mm-hmm. in 1977. Mm-hmm. Starring Hammond? Nicholas Hammond. Nicholas Hammond. Nicholas Williams. 
Um, and <laughs> I guess they packaged together uh, like two-parters in the movies mm-hmm. that they released in Japan. And then there was also a movie in Japan that was an adaptation of their live-action TV show that I've never seen but now really want to. It's worth checking out. It's a lot yeah. of fun. It's pretty cool. I mean, yeah. 70s Japanese <laughs> live-action Spider-Man just sounds... I sort of want oh, that. That's a good pitch on its own. Yeah, right. well, I know there's, there's like robots in it. Like, It's pretty dope. But so. despite the success of the Superman movie, my favorite factoid in this early phase here that shows how unpopular the idea in Hollywood of doing live-action real superhero movies is that the rights were purchased from Marvel to make a movie in 1985 for $250,000. Oh, my God. <laughs> if I had a time machine. Yeah. Screw <laughs> exactly. I'm going to go back and buy Spider-Man. Um, well, I mean, the rights to all of these characters were super cheap. I remember talking to uh, Michael Uslan, whose name is in the producer credits of every single Batman movie that there's ever been, uh, besides, I guess, 1966 Batman. He had the rights to Batman in his pocket for 20 years. Wow. And he talk, we talked to CBS yeah. Television. They wanted to make it Batman in Space. He talked to uh, certain studios, and they were like, "Oh, we already made uh, Robin and made Marion, so we can't make Batman and Robin." He was hearing stuff like this to to, to reject his pitch for a Batman movie. So, and, and he had it in his pocket until like 1989. He had he had uh, Jack Nicholson attached ten years before that, oh and that's Batman. So you can see the 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 morass that Spider Man would have to go through to just get cleaned developed. up, gone around to <laughs> DC and Marvel. It's like Lex Luthor's plan from the movie where he's buying up like fault line <laughs> desert property, so that yeah. when the half of California falls into the ocean, now it's beachfront. <laughs> you could have just gotten every single comic book character but to, for a penny. To rewind for a second, I think Corman had the rights in '82, and then the rights expired, and that's when uh, Cannon stepped in and bought them. When is the when was his? When's the Captain America movie from? When Captain is America is early 90s Albert Pune and that okay. was part of the we'll get to that later yeah. with uh we'll get to that later when we'll get to it later but uh so <laughs> so the Spider-Man rights were bought by a gentleman who was probably known to uh film nerd fans out there um Menachem Golan one half of the Israeli genre powerhouse Canon Films of Golan Globus mm-hmm. hey, we wouldn't um, have Chuck Norris without those guys yeah, that's right and uh, for what it's worth, the namesake of the animated show I created for Fox years ago, Golan the Insatiable. Nice. Um, yeah. Because when I loved that name as a kid, I didn't realize it was the names of like people that just, <laughs> when growing up in Minnesota, a name like Golan, everyone's named like Peterson and Anderson. So I was like, that guy sounds like an alien. Um, and he does consume everything. Yeah. He's <laughs> like Galactus. Um, and so we're going to start off here just because we're going to get into we have a bunch of scripts and treatments to talk about that are ultimately kind of riffs on the same idea. Mm-hmm. The one real outlier that we're not 100 percent sure where it's from, but it seems very clear that it was from right when Golan got the rights and was probably trying to figure out ideas for. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, really quick um, before we get into that, what happened was Golan didn't know anything about Spider-Man like he wasn't raised here. And so he thought Spider-Man was a ninja. This is like from an interview I heard with Ted Newsom. Ninja. Yeah, he thought he was a ninja, and he thought like that outfit. I guess he's got the look. Yeah. yeah so, so yeah. if you look at the he's in Japan. So yeah. if you look at that early poster teaser of of Spider-Man in space kicking the Tobe Hooper teaser, 
and you compare that to the Enter the Ninja poster, you'll see that they're both in the <laughs> same pose and space. So, and he wanted Michael Dudikoff from the beginning on. Wow. And we'll get to that later on when he wasn't going to be a part of the project. Well, yeah, Spider Man. But man, man, the yeah, the, they brought the ninja culture to us more so than even Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris was going to yeah. make it. He got his chest hair ripped off a few years before by Bruce Lee. He was going to make it. <laughs> but the ninja culture was not going to make it in America unless they made uh, Enter the Ninja, all those Shokasugi yeah, movies, Benjamin all that jazz, uh, and Revenge of the Master with Lee Van Cleef. Yeah, yeah. Ninja yeah. Three. I love those films. All yeah, that yeah, stuff. So obsessed. they brought it there. Yeah. So but what I'm saying is, they when when, <laughs> when when you are a hammer, everything looks like a nail. He, yeah. he brought the ninjas. So everything looks like a ninja. He wants to ninjify everything yeah. because that's you know. He's like America loves ninjas. <laughs> yeah, that's one much. thing I know. Um, silent killer. But so, <laughs> just to kind of get out of the way, but it's definitely got some interesting stuff in it. So the first oldest treatment I think we have was by a guy named James Shooter, who was the editor in chief of Marvel from 1978 to 1987, and he wrote up this treatment, which was intended to be written as a script a guy named Alan Zelenitz, who's a, another comic book writer, not that familiar with, but found this great random detail about him, which is that before he got into writing, he was the principal at an Orthodox Jewish school in Brooklyn, and the science teacher at that school was Darren Aronofsky's dad. I went wow. down this rabbit hole because when I was looking up this guy, he doesn't have any movie writing credits, but he has a credit on Aronofsky's first movie, Pi, and his credit is Judica advisor. Wow. And I was like, there's a story there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this, so this story begins, uh, Uncle Ben's already dead. Do people call him Uncle Ben? Every time I said that out loud, it sounds weird. It sounds like Rice. Rice. <laughs> yeah. 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 But he is his uncle and his yeah. name's Ben. Um, and this like, this is maybe set apart from where things start to go. And I guess, cause this was a Marvel comics guy. So this mm. one kind of really gets into him. Like he's already Spider-Man, the Spider-Man, you know, this one has the spider signal in it, which mm. is the thing he would wear on his belt. There was like the opposite of the Batman signal. Cause Batman was like, Gordon puts it up, Batman, we need you. This was Spider-Man's like shining it on criminals to be like, Hey, I'm about to come in and beat you up. <laughs> What a, I can see why they maybe yeah, worked well, I, that out. Ninjas do that, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> ninjas the ninjas want to be seen before yeah, the yes, fight. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's like, hey guys, I'm about to come down there. <laughs> Yo, boy, I'm gonna <laughs> put some ninja on you. Don't go anywhere. Um, and this was kind of fun too, because this like really gets this guy get in his idea. Because a lot of these ones we'll get to, like, it really eases into him becoming Spider-Man. He's kind of like, no, people knew Spider-Man as they want him. Mm-hmm. So he's a ninja. Like, yeah. So this has fun <laughs> stuff with him. Like at he's like in class, bored at a lecture, and he's like dangling his pencil like from the tip because he's already got his like sticky mm-hmm. web fingers. Um, and this one has Kingpin as a villain and Bullseye as a subvillain. And it all sticks pretty true to the Kingpin stuff. You know, it's all about Vanessa, his wife, which they do in uh, Spider-Verse. Um, in this, uh, though, there's a weird thing of none of, unless I'm completely wrong, the love interest is just a made-up girl named Lynn, not yeah. from the comic books. Yeah. Um, you read this treatment, yep. right? Yeah. I thought that was kind of odd for a guy who's the editor-in-chief of Marvel and was staying pretty faithful, but then he's also just like, even though Spider-Man has... For a comic book character, he has a pretty wide stable of love interests over the years that you can pick and choose from mm-hmm. which well, one you want to focus as on. As we go through time, too, it's just like the 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 rules of courting are fast and loose back in the days. Like yeah. I think I think Lynn, um, t- t- basically he saves Lynn or something, and then Lynn uh, sees him call his aunt May, 
and oh, he saves her from a mugging. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then he's like, oh, wait, I got to call my aunt. Yeah. yeah, and as he's on the phone with Aunt May, he's like, well, yes, I'm getting enough to eat. No, I'm, I'm going to come home. And then she's just like, this dude's a dork. Yeah, and so, no she, so she leaves. Yeah. She escapes him. And, and then, then, yeah. but then, but then, but then uh, that would be a really cool scene. But then he sees her scarf on the ground and uses his spider powers to jump across the rooftops and track her bus yeah, and so get to her house. Yeah, when she gets off the bus, he's just waiting there like, hey. Yeah. And that's that. You didn't want anything to do with me, but uh, here's your scarf. <laughs> here's I'm your using scarf. my powers to oh, come on. get after you. Yeah, and so instead of being utterly, instead of being so creeped out, she says, "Ah, oh, well, he's shown some acumen," <laughs> and uh, and goes out on dates. So I thought I found that pretty noteworthy. I thought that was hilarious. We start going on dates, and then there's like this weird thing where Bullseye hits him with a dart. He doesn't realize he has like powers necessarily, so he's like, "Oh my god, why did my dart kill him?" And Peter like breaks into a doctor's house and is like. <laughs> Like, save me! <laughs> they don't have urgent care. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he tries. He tries to go to urgent care. He gets turned away because he doesn't have any insurance oh, or anything. Right. <laughs> anything. <laughs> oh my god! And, and yeah, he thinks they'll unmask him there. So he go. He goes to a yeah. random doctor. He tracks a random doctor. He's tracking people all over the place. This guy's Columbo. Well, the guy <laughs> saves him, but then the guy also lifts up his mask and takes a Polaroid. As explaining the treatment, though, not for nefarious reasons. He's just like, that'll be fun. <laughs> so he just puts this Polaroid of Peter's face. Uh, in his desk. <laughs> oh my god. Um, okay, the villain stuff in this is maybe not even that necessary. It's basic. Kingpin is planning to hold the city hostage by he's gonna like spray it with some kind of chemical Toxin. weapon. Yeah. And he has the antidote, ransom, yada yada. The weird thing about this is that Lynn, because all of these scripts, one thing they have in common, I guess, is part of the Spider-Man lore, is that uh, he's poor. Yeah. So there's always him trying to get money, or Aunt May needs surgery, so he needs money for that. And she's like, you should try out for the New York Knicks. And then he does, <laughs> and he signs a contract with the New York <laughs> Knicks. I did, I, 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 if I may, if I may weigh in as a, as a straight-up basketball fan, which a lot of nerds aren't, so my Venn diagram is quite rare. I'm a super basketball nerd and a super nerd nerd. And let me tell you something. A white dude ducking on dudes in the 80s would sell a billion tickets in Madison <laughs> Square Garden. Oh my God, they would get so rich. So yeah, everybody would get rich in that scenario. Peter denied us all, is what, is what I'm saying. He missed his calling. Yeah. But yeah, she wants him to become rich because she, she, she quite logically states, dude, if you get rich, you could do a bunch of do-gooder stuff that doesn't involve getting shot at and stuff. So why don't you just go get rich and from that security, Shoot your arrows of charity all over the your webs of charity all over the city, doing it's that. Wise. And it's super wise, but of course, in the machinations of this movie, it doesn't work out. No, well, uh, uh, surprise, surprise, Bullseye ends up finding this doctor's house and the Polaroid that he for no reason <laughs> took from Peter's face. <laughs> so then he learns uh, Spider-Man's identity. He kidnaps Aunt May and Lynn and. Big battle, yada, yada, yada. Oh, and Aunt May and Lynn are being wined and dined with tea and crumpets and jazz. Like, like Kingpin has them in a quiet place, away from everything, just drinking tea. And Aunt May is quite charmed, actually. The script states that she's quite charmed by that because she doesn't really know what's going on. We'll she's been kidnapped. One of these future scripts, she's a real sucker for Doc Ock, too. Oh, yeah. So well, who not, yeah. Look, she's a widow. Right. She's lonely. <laughs> she's got eight arms. <laughs> Um, it's also funny handy. too because the kingpin's plot with his wife is that like for him 
the like kind of ticking clock drama for our villain is that she's like, I want you to stop doing crime. And he's like, come on, baby. <laughs> you know, just one more time. And she's like, no, I'm going to Europe. And then she leaves and he's like, oh man, I just got to do this crime. And then I bet I can win her back. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Like this is, this is, this is heat. This movie's kind of like Heat. They set it up as like Spider-Man and Kingpin being these these uh, dynamic opposites, and like Kingpin is all about money, and and, and Spider-Man's so reluctant, and blah blah. And Kingpin has to pull one last job. Yeah, I pull one last job, and I'll get it. I love me again. And is there a scene where like Spider-Man is like chasing the Kingpin's car, like he's swinging his webs? Finally, sort of tracks him down, like to a coffee shop. You sit down, <laughs> and they just kind of have coffee. Oh, I wish that would have been really great. Oh, yeah. Um, If I got to take you down. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, this mostly then just kind of goes where comic would. I did like the Kingpin kills Bullseye himself by just like smashing his head with his bare hands because Bullseye screws up. Yeah. Kingpin won't have that. And then it it does have the funny button at the end, though. It ends with like a real dorky comedy bit where like the GM of the Knicks or something (laughs) shows up at Peter's door and he's like, we need you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. Spike Lee would have loved this one. Oh, oh, man. <laughs> Spider-Man on the Knicks is like a real dream of mine. I, was, I In the 90s, I was a Knicks fan, and they could have used him against, against Houston. <laughs> uh, well, Stevie, anything you need to tee up for the the Newsome draft? Which kind of um, comes to be our first, like, real foothold taking form for the Golan version of this movie. Yeah, I I just guess early on, like I mentioned, um, yeah, Tobe Hooper was the first director attached because he had a three-picture deal with Canon where he did, um, as we know now, is Life Force, Invaders from Mars, and uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But at the time, I think it was right after Life Force, he was given Spider-Man, but he wanted to do Invaders instead. It doesn't sound like he was really that into the project, but... He wanted to do others before he did Spider-Man. So and was uh, this already the Newsome script, or was he going to make the weird Wolfman? He, it looks like he was. Um, well, he was going to do the Wolfman weird one, and then um, we'll get to the Newsome wrote the draft for him, and as they handed it in, he stepped away from the project, and, mm. and they kind of wrote it for him. And then that's when Zito stepped in. Wait, did we mention the Wolfman one? You no, didn't no. Steel, okay. Stephen's draft. We it's, mentioned the ninja yeah, aspect. So it's, uh, yeah, it's going back to like where they didn't understand the concept of who Spider-Man was. And so this is like the official first draft that I cannot find a copy of this. It doesn't seem like there's one floating around. Yeah, if anyone out there has a copy of the script, we would very Spider-Man much like to see it. Spider-Man versus the Wolfman? Is the well, man. No, no, it's that they under... It's part of how we didn't understand who Spider-Man was. So I think once he realized he wasn't a ninja, then it was like what wolves are to the wolf man. Oh boy. Spider-Man was. So he turned into this like brundle fly <laughs> creature. That's kind of an awesome idea. <laughs> Although it's kind they of awesome. sort of a little bit did that in the comics. Like there was a whole thing mm-hmm. where like he kind of grew like the extra arms and mm-hmm. all this other. I remember stuff. that guy yeah. doppelganger. Was that the name of that well, character? I mean, for, for a while, uh, Peter grew yeah. four arms because oh, yeah, because time. of you know mu- mutation, secondary mutation. That was mutations. when David Cronenberg was writing the book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of body horror. Yeah. Supposedly, yeah. throughout you know, this is where the organic web shooter came from that carried you know that it disappears after this draft, but later on when it gets to court and stuff, they always go back to organic web shooters coming from this draft. 
Although in later writer's defense, I think the fact that he was some sort of giant monster who also (laughs) shot webs is a little different than normal Spider-Man shooting organic webs. But yeah, it's pretty much as Josh explained. And he's, um, yeah, and he's, I guess... Peter's job is he takes uh, pictures for people's IDs. And Does he, he take Polaroids of himself and leave yeah. them in doctor's desks? or <laughs> <laughs> No, he just turns into a human triangular and um, the scientist is trying to start a new master race of mutants. And <laughs> Such an he, 80s. Mutations yeah. that he keeps in his basement. And funny you say that. This is around the time The Fly came out, I believe. So... Uh, yeah, and so that was that attempt, and it was completely wrong, and uh, Stan Lee wasn't happy, and <laughs> no one was happy. And, and so Stan Lee was just working with Ted Newsom and John Brancato. They wrote a draft of Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, and Stan Lee asked them, what, what, you know, out of everything we have at Marvel, what do you want? And they both wanted Spider-Man, so they, they knew the character, and so... You know, and at the time they were told it was for a Tobe Hooper, so they had Tobe Hooper in mind when they wrote the draft. And so this draft um, was, and then it, uh, this draft was numbered November twenty fourth, nineteen eighty five, and it was supposed to come out Christmas nineteen eighty six. You know, it was supposed to go up against like Little Shop of Horrors and uh, Platoon, King Kong Lives, and Golden Child. It was supposed to come out around that time, so it would have been That's a, a hell of a lineup, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> been a crazy Christmas. But I could see this draft coming up around that time. Um, we'll go through it, but it's out of everything we've read, I, I like this one. Uh, I don't know. There's something about it. I can totally see this one being a movie in 1985. Well, and let's get into the the details here. And so, uh, just keying up the writers. So it was written by uh, what are they? Ted Newsom and, oops, sorry, wrong John one. John Brancato. Brancato. That's how I say it. And Ted Newsom did a lot of other kind of genre movies. Um, he did, in the 90s, he did a thing called A Hundred Years of Horror, which was like a series of TV things that I vaguely remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Brancato went on of the duo a bit more successful. He wrote um, David Fincher's The Game, the Sandra Bullock classic, The Net, mm-hmm. Uh Terminator 3, and back to our buddy Bruce Campbell, Mind Warp, which co-starred Angus Grimm, a.k.a. the tall man from the Phantasm series. First Fangoria movie. Um, Mm. And the the PDF we have for this script is fun, because it, I'm not sure where they got this, but it opens up with a letter that uh, James Galton, who was the president at the time of Cadence Publishing, which I think owned or briefly owned Marvel, still owns. I don't know. That's that's the element of comic books I don't know a lot about. <laughs> the, the conglomerate publishing part. But I think this was in response to the, you know, Wolfman Spider-Man thing where he basically sent him a note saying how much more he liked this one. Uh, and he also alludes to a Captain America script being written by Michael Winner, who people might know as the director of several Death Wish movies. Um, Anyone has a copy of that script, we'd also like to read it. Guaranteed, Captain America throws his shield through some person's body or beheads somebody with the shield. (laughs) Guaranteed. Um, Especially because he says the Captain America script, on the other hand, because he was praising the Spider-Man script we're about to talk about, I found bloody awful. So apparently Michael Winner, not the right guy to do a Captain America movie. I mean, when 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 he took over Death Wish, it got too violent. 
which says <laughs> that's all I got to like say that. about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, hey, that's kind of true. The first Death Wish was really sort of a legit drama, and then you know, and then it just goes. Oh, then it just okay. Yeah. Now we're just shooting people. Yeah, it yeah. goes <laughs> over the top, yeah. as it were. Um, but this one, so this kind of becomes the uh, bones for Golan's many attempts to make this movie over the next decade um, where we introduce Doc Ock. Dr. Octopus is the villain. Um, he is a professor at the college, Empire, was it Empire University? Empire State University. University um, where Peter and all his friends are going. Um, he's working on something called the Cyclotron that I feel they explain what it does slightly different in every one of these scripts <laughs> but it ultimately does the same thing which is power le- your microwave <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> so well, just like when everything cyclotron it's like when everything was a transistor yeah. like oh yeah iron man had transistors and is there like where oh. people are still hacking the mainframe in 2019 what's that <laughs> nobody uses a goddamn mainframe <laughs> but it sounds great <laughs> stop it um and this also introduces the idea. This one has kind of like a CW vibe to Peter mm. and his friends. Like Harry uh, is Harry Osborne is just his like nerdy friend, or is this the one where he's described as oh his awkward heavy metal shirt wearing he's, Harry Osborne? He's like animal liberator in this script too. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's playing a prank. He's playing yeah. a prank. Um, but there's also Flash is there with his classicness. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one, much like uh, Homecoming, chooses Liz Allen as the romantic interest, not Gwen or Mary Jane. And then if I'm wrong, I think Liz Allen just basically is the love interest in all of these, right? Which is a strange choice. Yeah, yeah. all the canon ones. It's that I personally really don't know from the comics. Like, I don't think growing up I ever read one with her in it. I mean, she was, it's it's almost like a, what, whatever whatever Bruce Wayne's first girlfriend was in 1938. Yeah. If she kept popping up in these yeah. movies, you know what I mean? Like, to a certain degree, that's what happened. Vicki Vale yeah. was a really, like, she's like 15, 20 girlfriends ago for people who were actually reading Batman yeah. at the time. So that's yeah. kind of a tried and true tradition. And maybe they think that they're going to just like superhero up out of that first relationship. You know, it's like, the, you know, they'll have like, hey, I have my first movie with you, baby. But then yeah. Mary Jane's for the good sequel or whatever. She's like my Zod. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what? Like, James Bond. Like, like, we need a new love interest every movie. At the end, we break up. She doesn't want to. I send her to the Phantom Zone. <laughs> well, at Homecoming, it made sense why they used. Liz, because you could tell that they were just trying to zig where the other movies zagged. That you know, Raimi already did Mary Jane, the uh, Spider-Man movies we won't talk about. Did Gwen? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm just think it's interesting that they yeah they started with Liz. Although I guess you're saying maybe they are just going chronologically. It's, it's, it seems like she was kind of the first love interest that I that I you know with Marvel Unlimited, who we've given two free plugs. Uh, you, you can go you can go look at, at some of those early ones. And Liz Allen's always sort of bopping around, and it's sort of a love triangle between her and uh, uh, Flash Thompson. Um, but so this movie opens, and they all kind of open the same with Doc Ock working in his lab with his tentacles, aka his Waldos, which these scripts go way out of their way. To highlight that they are called Waldos. Um, I also don't really remember them calling that in the comic books. I don't know why, but boy, do they double down on the Waldo talk in these scripts. Um, And, you know, it's actually not even totally unlike what we ended up seeing in Spider-Man 2, use of Doc Ogg. You get the idea that there's the officious people who 
don't like what he's doing and his experiments draw too much power. And so we meet sort of our, I imagine he would have been played by, um, what's the guy from Ghostbusters and Emo Die Phillips. Hard? Emo Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that, he's a classic oh. jerk. He's in uh, oh. Real Genius. William Aderton. Yes. Yes. Yeah, he's classic one. middle management jer- jerk off. Who I feel Ben Mendelsohn is kind of the current version of that. Right. All his movies. A jerk off for a middle, generation. Middle, ben middle, middle, ma- middle management jerk off. Uh, but that guy's <laughs> name is Thorkel, who's always the guy who's going to be coming in and being like, ah, come on, you need to go teach your class. Stop <laughs> doing stuff. <laughs> like Superintendent Chalmers from The Simpsons. Like, yeah. Skinner, <laughs> what are you doing with these Waldos? Uh, and then there's the nice professor who's like sympathetic to Ak, whose name is. Rossamoff, but we only call Roz, not to be confused with Kelsey Grammer's sidekick from the TV show Frasier. <laughs> Although it would be awesome if it were her. Oh, um, that, that right. Nice, nice little gender bent casting. Yeah, I think it's a good progressive in the 80s. And this does have, you could, I, interesting too, you could tell that they were attempting to world build back when people weren't really doing that for the superhero movies, planning for the future, because even though he's never a character in the script, we do see that the building that Peter is having his class in is the Curtis Connors Science Center, who Spider-Man fans will know went on to become the, the lizard. lizard. Um, although, wasn't his character in every single Sam Raimi movie? But yep. then they he, they never did lizard. Yep. That that bummed me out. Well, it's, like, it's like those old uh, Tim Burton movies where, where uh, you, didn't, you didn't get a uh, uh, Two-Face. Our Billy D. Williams, yeah, two- the, the Billy D. Williams Two Face. I do been? think the world is a sadder place for I having think, not had a Billy D. Williams. That would have been really smooth. Yeah. The world's coolest Two Face. He's got a Colt forty five <laughs> in one hand and a glass of champagne in the other hand yeah. <laughs> to, to represent the duality. Yeah, 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 yeah Batman. Um, so now we're getting up to one of the first kind of big things that happened. Is Steve said that Harry is kind of an uh, animal rights guy. I don't know if he's an animal rights guy so much as a merry prankster. But maybe I read it wrong. Is he? He brings. Uh, how does this work? My note is just crazy rabbit basset hounds prank, <laughs> where he gets a bunch of basset hounds to chase rabbits through like the library of the campus. I, I can see it in the script. It's supposed to be that sort of big. The camera booms up over the chaos moment, and the, and the guy standing there triumphant, you yeah. know, sort of the yeah. But it's it's just a bunch of basset hounds in a library, <laughs> and then that's <laughs> kind of creating. That sounds adorable. <laughs> yeah, the B plot that doesn't really go anywhere, which is just that Harry, uh, in this he is poor, um, unlike uh, James Franco mm. in Sam Raimi's movie, and he is there on a scholarship that he's going to lose because he's always screwing around, pulling these wacky pranks. Well, he's like Van Wilder in this. How does he afford all the basset hounds? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe he rescued him and then let him go, bassets. and then they're going to go. He's basically an a-hole. Like they're going to go right back. <laughs> this guy's going a jerk. Out on the street, the gang of feral basset hounds. And then this introduces the interesting concept, and a very expensive sounding, uh, I don't remember, Steve, if you said what this had been budgeted at, but I think it was around... Like twenty million. Yeah, that's the um, budget for this one. Uh, uh, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that this goes the same route as uh, Golan's version of Spider-Man or Superman Four, oh which had a real budget and then got slashed down mm-hmm. to the movie. Well, they we all it, had to see. Oh, they say it was forty-three, but then they really made it for nineteen or something. That's that doesn't even look. Someone was walking around with <laughs> oh, fifteen million dollars uh, in their pocket. It's a money, they spent money laundering. It's a money laundering operation. Oh, that that supposedly happened on Masters of the Universe too. Oh, like yeah. Frank Langella, Dolph Lundgren had this long scene, and they were just like, "Eh, we don't got the stunt guys, so just <laughs> just go do it in two minutes." So yeah. 
Um, but so we got this really big, expensive, pretty cool sounding sequence um, that knowing that Toby Hooper almost made this movie actually yeah. both makes a lot of sense and makes me sad we didn't get to see the scene, which is that um, Doc Ock, unsurprisingly, much like in the Sam Raimi movie, uh, his experiment starts going wrong because he's a little bit crazy. Uh, and the what did i call it it was the uh, cyclotron starts like blasting energy around and is described here a little quote the room around him looks melted dials monitors and switches distorted as in a funhouse mirror a chair fused into the wall the doors twisted rippled almost like a tim burton style set uh this kind of happens to this whole area and uh peter is sneaking in to take photos because I think he's trying to make money with J. Jonah Jameson, as mm-hmm. we know Spider-Man loves to do. Uh, and he finds a dog fused with a wire cage and a lab rat <laughs> melded with its exercise wheel, like writhing in pain. Um, a little different than we <laughs> yeah. expect from our Spider-Man movies. Um, yeah. But then the real interesting thing is, is that... Um, because there's a bunch of these like lab animals in there that got blasted with the cyclotron and a spider gets blasted, which then bites Peter. So Peter and Doc Ock basically get their powers from the same accident. Imagine if he'd been bitten by the rat instead. Ooh. <laughs> rat man. A rat melted with an exercise wheel. Listen <laughs> up, true believers. Um, and so there's also this now thread going on of the cyclotrons kind of just like causing these weird anomalies. We have would have been actually a pretty fun scene of a uh, subway train or above ground train, whatever, um, completely disappears. And then like the doors open and the people inside are looking out and they're on like a snowy field in Mongolia with a bunch of like farmers just staring at them. Like, Burr. Uh, <laughs> Uh, this makes the news. We can tell that, uh, <laughs> as one expect. Oh yeah, and then it's kind of like um, a scene from the Transformers because there's also like lots of electron electronics start to attack people. Like uh, Drya levitates in Liz Allen's apartment and is whirling around, and she screams, and like all kinds of stuff like that starts happening after the experiment. And meanwhile, as always, Spider-Man needs to make some money. Um, So he goes to wrestle Hulk Hogan, playing himself as the script. Make sure to note. (laughs) He was the champion at the time. Yeah. Uh, And Hogan is the one who gives... (laughs) Hogan's like, what if we uh, sue Vulture? (laughs) And Hogan is the one who gives him the very important vice of be a good guy, which... Hulk Hogan tells you to be a good guy. <laughs> you better. You take that to heart. Um, I find this one. He gets his costume from a place called uh, Lieber's Novelty Shop, and he has the guy there make him a costume, Spider-Man's costume. Um, and meanwhile, Doc Ock is going crazy. Our middle management jerk-off, Thorkel, shows back up. Oh, sure, I think he shows to see him in the hospital. Um, Doc Ock kills him. Harry gets kicked out of school. Um, <laughs> Doc, there's a whole scene kind of wish I'd printed this one out uh, but where Doc Ock shows up at like a warehouse that sells like you know big industrial supplies that he needs to build a new cyclotron <laughs> um, and it's kind of like the scene with Dick Miller in Terminator you know where he's like hey, you can't load bullets in there <laughs> uh, where the, stick with what's in the store pal yeah and he's yeah. like about to kill the guy he's like, he's like, you have to pay for all this and he's like bah, ha, ha, and he's about to kill him with all his 
Waldos. Oh, um, then he realizes that there's like Waldo. too many. There's too many people watching. So then he's sort of like, oh, I guess I won't kill this guy. <laughs> money I need. I think he even says, I think it's his line. He goes, money. Um, it's when he realizes he needs to rob some banks and stuff. <laughs> it's a great sequence because up to this point, it kind of has Doc Ock being a little ruthless, like a little scary, unhinged after the experiment. You know? Yeah. So like you really believe he's going to kill the guy, but there's too many witnesses around. It's a great scene. Um, and then, uh, oh yeah, Spider-Man ends up... So one thing that a lot of these have in common that I find kind of interesting is that Spider-Man's sort of becoming like a low-level celebrity before he's even fighting crime because the Hulk Hogan thing was televised. He's kind of becoming a minor sensation. He ends up going on Letterman. <laughs> so David Letterman... Apparently, they were going to try to get him to play himself. He ends up picking up Letterman's desk with Letterman still <laughs> sitting in it, which I don't think they understand how desks and chairs work. Because yeah, I feel that, like I, just when I read that, <laughs> I, I did read that, and, and my His first Christine thought was, "Yeah, how did he not just <laughs> fall on the ground and you have just a desk?" You know that that was that was really weird. But he did he did he did do like a river dance on a wall, like <laughs> yeah. he, he got on a wall and, and busted some dance moves. So, so yeah, so that I could, you know, and then he, he says something like, and then there's also my amazing strength, and then I think he lifts the desk. Yeah, and this one, like, we have our character, his name is Reese, who's the classic, like, shady promoter guy who in the comics stiffs Peter and the whole thing, where then he lets the criminal go and criminal kills Uncle Ben, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't screw him over here, and the whole Uncle Ben in danger thing happens where, in this one's Peter's spider sense also is, like, He's psychic. He's having like a dead zone flash of the future. Uh, and he runs home and there's kind of this fun scene with him like yelling at the cabbie to like go faster. Um, was it? Uh, Which is hilarious in and of itself. You know, it's like I need I need to stop Lois Lane from getting from getting blown up in this explosion. Let me jump in a cab. Right. Uh, <laughs> Spider Man takes an inordinate number of cabs in these '80s drafts. Although, really, I'd um, love to watch this Spider Man kind of in a dead zone movie as long as you get Walken to play Spider Man. Right? Yeah, <laughs> how amazing would that? Yeah. Be? <laughs> no. Oh, I forgot. No, he has a psychic premonition and then goes home and just has a scene with Ben and May. And then he has a second psychic premonition later. So that first one was like real advanced. <laughs> wow. Um, and this one, Ben gets shot by a burglar, I believe unrelated to anything Spider-Man does. So there's none of the guilt of like, I could have stopped it unless he's just guilty that he wasn't hanging out at home at all times instead of being on Letterman. Um, he goes to visit, they go to yeah, the hospital, Ben dies in the hospital. Uh, Let's see. Oh, yeah. Then this all is kind of building up to a big action battle in the uh, toxic weights dump. Oh, another super expensive thing is that Ock is building his, you know, he he does some robberies, so he gets all the supplies. I think he goes back with some money to pay that guy that he almost dick millered earlier uh, to turn that into a a verb. Um, It's like, hey, friendo, I'm here to buy all this. but it would have been super. I don't know how they would have pulled it off necessarily with the effects at the time. But he basically sucks a subway train out of the ground and it ends up sticking into the side of like a skyscraper. So the people like in the skyscraper are looking like in the windows of the people on the train and part of it's like dangling out and falling down. Um, 
Yeah. Pardon me. All these scripts we'll get into are a little bit similar, so some of this is blurring together for me. Yeah, I think in this one it's just hovering. I think the next one it goes into the building. Yeah, it's very confusing. Oh no, this does have the science center. We go back to the college science center, um, and it ends up levitating, basically like um, what's the city in Age of Ultron? Oh yeah, um, Sokovia. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Right. Basically the same idea, but smaller. Where the whole building and like the piece of ground it's well, on raise up <laughs> into the sky. Well, yeah. So is this one before the weird Stan Lee treatment? Yes. Oh my God. Okay, sorry. <laughs> wow, because yeah, you're right. Some of these ideas, there's ideas, and because like I said, I read them all. There's ideas that are in every single one, and you're just like, you guys stuck onto this one. It's like, and yeah. I know you guys have all have experience. All you guys more than me, even obviously have you know experiences of doing a draft of something. And then you've come up with something in the first draft, and it makes it through like eleven drafts for like no reason, no reason at all. <laughs> for no reason. And this is a a key example of that across different writers. Yeah, that's crazy. Someone, I guess it must have been maybe Golan, was like, "No, the movie has to end with the thing raising into the sky. People will love it, and then ninjas will show up." <laughs> um, I mean, talking about expensive, but but then also the ends with the entire thing ends up falling out of the sky at the end and landing in Central Park Lake. But I guess they had a twenty million budget. That was kind of huge for yeah. nineteen eighty five. Yeah. Like I don't, yeah. I don't remember what Back to the Future's budget was, but I feel like it wasn't that much more. Yeah, I'd be really excited to see how they did it for ten. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. three. Doc Ock has a cool death scene. He gets like warped inside of his machine, and it says Ock's body warps, twists inside itself. He howls in agony, pleasure, enlightenment, then death. So, like, nice P- pushing the PG-13 to the limit with the melted rat. Well, Imagine making the shot list for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty All right, we're doing pleasure now, so if you could. Well, he goes into, like, his death is almost like altered states, like the first scene of, of Hurt going into the, the, the universe in mm-hmm. altered states. It seems like well, that's what happened. And again, you know. I wonder if it was because Toby Hooper was doing it, but, um, like, there's some crazy, weird, horror-y stuff when we get into these moments uh, that could have been super cool. Well, there's a surprising amount of horror littered throughout a lot of them. We'll yeah. get to some more horror later, but boy. Um, well, you know what? I'm going to call an audible here because this topic is so dense. I think we're going to have to turn this two-parter into a three-parter. So let's end part one right now. Uh, and then you guys will stick around for some more Spider-Man. Right. Um, a big thanks to Ed and Ash here, even though you will hopefully see them again in a couple weeks because you subscribe to our show. But thanks for joining us here at Best Movies Never Made. If you're a fan of the podcast, you may want to check out Electric Surge's other podcasts, like the 4.30 Movie every Friday, in which a group of writer and producers curate fantasy theme weeks of classic movies. And Inglorious Trexperts, the only podcast for Star Trek fans with a life. Available every Saturday wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, a very special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here at Electric Surge Network, including our producers Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman. Uh, you can follow us at on Instagram and uh, what are we on Twitter? I always forget. Never made film. Never made film. Yes. Never made film. Um, we post a lot of concept art and script pages and other fun stuff. So there's actually a reason to follow a podcast on social media. So until mm-hmm. next time, this is Josh Miller and Stephen Scarlatta saying we won't see you at the movies.
This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.